0: Well good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Hope everybody's alive and well this morning and doing well. Praise be to God. I want to welcome everybody into my home and all those that are coming all over the world and listening to SoundCloud and podcasting me in and whoever you out there, welcome, whoever you are. God bless you, and welcome to the house of the Lord. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. We're going to be in Matthew chapter eighteen verses 10 through 14. And I'll uh, give you my last week's thoughts after we open up in prayer. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer and see what the Lord has to say to us this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this message, Lord. Thank you so much for your heart. Thank you so much, Lord God, that we're getting to know you so much more through this very extensive study where we've been going on through Matthew, Lord. Almost two years, Lord, we've been Study in Matthew, Lord, and I never intended it to go this long, Lord. But by golly, I just, I just can only give. Well, I can only give those. I can only give people what you give me. So, Lord, I just pray that we would get fed well today, Lord, and hear your word and listen to your word and not just be hearers of your word only, Lord, but doers of your word. That we would hear your words and and be put into action. When we hear them, Lord, not just listen to them and then walk away and then don't do anything of what we hear. Because then really, Lord, our faith is not faith at all because we know that faith without works is dead. And so, Lord, we don't want to be those type of Christians. We don't want to be those types of people, Lord God. So make us those that have faith with lots of action, Lord, real faith, faith that leads to works. May you bless this word, Lord, today. May you bless our ears may you bless my mouth Lord and may we listen and may we sp- just listen with with intentness Lord and hearing what you have to say to us Lord and help me to speak help me to speak Lord and say the things that you want me to say I just pray that us in this room and everybody around the world Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come upon us Lord while we're listening and while I'm teaching Lord and and that Lord you would change us Lord as we listen to your word and that we get to know you more we praise you and we thank you dear God We ask for your, just your Holy Spirit to be just fulfilled, just filling us this whole entire hour that we're here, Lord. We just ask that you keep the devil out of our minds and out of our lives, Lord, on a daily basis, Lord. Help us to walk closer with you. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to chapter 18 of Matthew, be in verses 10 through 14 this week verses 10 through 14, and we'll read them after I give my thoughts from last week. So first, my thoughts on Jesus warns of offenses. So I am being. I want to start out on a really serious note this week. I want everybody that considers themselves a Christian out there to listen in a very serious way right now because I'm going to say something that's going to, going to hit home. You know, there are a lot of doctrines or what you would call teachings, teachings, doctrines, There's the same word. There's a lot of teachings and doctrines out there floating around there about Christianity, about the way we believe the Bible. And of course, this has been a problem since even day one of Christianity. There's always been a sense of a problem of what did Jesus mean or what did the Bible say? And so people you know, have come up with different doctrines throughout the years that have, you know, led different denominations and different Christian movements. Well, one of the biggest lies, unfortunately, that there, are, or that there is that's out there is one that's called eternal security, or you could call it once saved, always saved. In the sense of, once I truly come to Christ, and once I truly give my life to Him and I get saved... Then no matter what I do afterwards, it doesn't matter. I can live any way I want. Hey, I, I got saved. I'm, I'm saved. God's filled me with his Holy Spirit. I'm done. I'm going to cruise into the kingdom of heaven. And no matter what way I live, that's it. Hey, God saved me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Well, this, this is a doctrine or a teaching that's taught by man. But really, it's from hell. And it's not really taught anywhere in the Bible. Eternal security is real, but we'll get to that in just a moment. If you listened to my sermon last week, Jesus Warns of Offenses, you heard Jesus in that sermon talk against this idea because he was warning Christians and saying if we fall into willful sin, we can be swept away into that sin and swept away into destruction. And in reality, I tell you this right now. As true as I am standing here as I'm alive. This is what the Bible says. These are the two hardest things that any Christian will ever have to do in their lives as they walk with God. Number one, we have to, we're required to continue steadfastly in our faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in Him fully, leaning on Him fully until we die, and keeping ourselves abstaining from the sinfulness of this world and and falling into a willful, sinful lifestyle. And I am here to stand here and tell you that in my 14 years plus with Jesus Christ, these two areas are the ones that I've been tested in. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've also been tested in these two areas more than any other. You've been tested in your faith, relying on and trusting in God for everything, and the lure and the temptations of sin that are always there, that will always be trying to get at you. You will be tested in these areas more than any others. And these ways, the Bible says, are easy for us to fall into. Paul describes in Romans this battle. You know, the spirit wars against the flesh. And why is it I don't do the things that I want to do and I do the things that I don't want to do? And he talks about this battle. That As long as we're alive and as long as we're in Christ, we're going to have this battle because we're physical people. But we have a spiritual soul that's inside of us, which is invisible. And if we're saved and that soul is now connected with God and his Holy Spirit's leading us, then our soul and our spirit want to live for God, but our flesh, we see this rotten flesh, it wants to live for sin. And so yet the Bible says, as we talked about last week, that those that are Christ's have crucified those passions. Well, maybe we didn't talk about that verse, but Paul talks about it with Timothy or Titus. Those that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So that's a common theme throughout the Bible. Jesus warns about this in Matthew eighteen, six through nine, and the New Testament is littered with these, just like one that I brought up, but one the first one that came to my heart as I was setting up for this beginning of this sermon is first Timothy one, eighteen and nineteen. Listen to it. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, says Paul, according to the prophecies pre- previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Again, there's two warfares that we have to battle as Christians on a daily basis. We have to battle unbelief. We have to battle sin. And we just have to battle just, you know, the world. You know, the world's always trying to come in and, you know, kind of push God out of our lives. So verse 19, he says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected. See, notice they were saved, but now they've rejected it concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. What does that mean? Just like Jesus talked about last week. They've suffered shipwreck. They were walking the path. They were having faith in a good conscience toward God. They were living for God. They got saved. But now their faith and their confidence in God has gotten shipwrecked. And where are they? They fall away. Now we hope they come back. I hope you come back if you're in that state now. But that's what God says can happen. With this warning from Paul to Timothy and Jesus in Matthew 18, please, Christians, no matter what you've been taught, the biblical truth of eternal security is this. Eternal security is a real thing as long as, once you come to the Master, once you come to Christ, you grab hold of Him, you hang on to Him with all your heart in faith and trust, like a newborn babe clings to their mama, and you don't let go of For anything. And you stay away from the sinfulness of this world. And you don't just partake of it. Because, oh well, I'm saved. Now I can live any way you want. If you don't practice these things, these principles in your life as a Christian, as a saved person, then you will not be eternally secure in Christ. And you won't be saved. And you'll fall into condemnation. Jesus said, Those who endure to the end shall be saved. So, God loves us very, very much, and His desire is that none should perish, and all should come to repentance. So Christians, people, children of God that are listening, please love Him back with all your life in every way until you come to meet Him. And that is God's desire for our lives. Not that we get saved once and then do whatever, but yet that we come to God And live for him and serve him and obey him and trust in him until we die. So praise be to God. Please take those words to heart, however you believe and however you've been taught. All right. Anyway, all right. On to our beginning main message, you'd call it. The title of my message today is, uh, Oh, how precious Israel is. In God's sight, it's Matthew eighteen ten through 14. If you guys want to open up your Bibles, if you're, not, if you're not already there, I'm going to read them and then we're going to study. So Jesus says to us in Matthew 18, verse 10, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. For the son of man has come to save that which was lost. First of all, in my message this morning, I want to tell you guys, I, I owe I owe this whole I owe every message to God. One hundred percent every message. But some messages come a little easier than other messages. This particular message, I was a couple days into studying, you know, and I had to put in a lot of work and put in some hours work and I'm wrestling with some things that I'm reading in Scripture and what I initially thought about the the Scripture this week. And and so I'm really seeking God's face because I'm like, this is not lining up, Lord. And I'm not going to teach it if it's not right. Because I won't teach the Bible if I'm going to get it wrong. I'm not just going to just stand up here or or stand over the Internet and I'm just going to say a whole bunch of false things about God or just whatever I want to say. It's got to be right. And if it's not right, well, then I'm not going to teach it. So I thought this whole section of Scripture was Jesus telling us again, yet again, about the saved children of God. I thought the context had stayed the same. Uh, You know, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, verse 6, I thought we just carried on. I saw little ones, and I just kind of assumed, which is a dangerous thing to do, that this message was going to be again about God's saved children. In fact, my original title was, How Precious in God's Sight Are Those That Are His. But God showed me after day, I think it was either day two or day three, that I was wrong. So I just have to give praise, honor, and glory that he set me back on the right path and that he put me on the right structure so that we can get our scripture right this morning and really get the heart of it. Anyway, as you heard in the new title, I believe that God showed me that the context of this section of scripture is Jesus referring to Israel or the Jewish people or nation, not the redeemed of God, not the saved of God. Why do I believe this? God showed me after much prayer that attention to detail was key. So first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to show you why I believe that Jesus is referring to Israel, because getting the context right is important. If we don't know the context of the scripture that we're going to study, what happens? We fall into spiritual error. So after we look at the context, our first part of our sermon here, then we're going to study the heart of the scripture. So here's why I believe that Jesus is talking to us about Israel here and not the children of God in a saved Christian sense. Okay, Number one reason I believe this. Look at the first verse, verse 10. He says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Notice he just says, One of these little ones. He doesn't say, One of these little ones who believe in me. Notice that Jesus changes his words there. And in scripture, it's very important that we notice when Jesus changes his wording because there's no accidents. Jesus didn't say anything just by happen chance. Every word of you know, from the mouth of God is important. And if it changes, then we ought to look. Well, then, did the scripture context change? And, and here it did. So, in verse 10, number one reason I believe it's Israel here is that Jesus is referring to. He says in verse 10, be careful that you do not despise one of these little ones. Notice that's different from you know, causing the little ones who believe in me to sin it's different. He says, be careful that you don't despise one of these little ones. Well, that's a very key thing in understanding the scripture and what it's about. There's only two times in the scripture that we read kind of this warning about despising or hating or you could say cursing, you know, one of the little ones or, or you know, those that are of God. The number one place is when God speaks to Abram, who is the father of the nation of Israel in Genesis 12 2 and 3, and he tells him this. I will make of you a great nation, He tells Abram. I will bless you and make you a great name, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and listen to what he says. I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We have the same idea when God speaks to Balaam, who is who gets called by Balak, king of Moab, in Numbers chapters 22 and 23, where Balak, this king of Moab, sends for Balaam, who was a child of God, who was like you know kind of like adopted into the Israelites back then, even though he wasn't Jewish. And Balak calls him and he says, "I want you to curse Israel for me. I'm going to take you up on this high mountain and uh, you're going to overlook them, and then when you overlook them, I want you to curse them." Well, God wouldn't allow Balaam to curse him, not even three times, because Balak wanted him to do it, because he knew that whoever Balaam cursed, they'd be cursed. And yet God wouldn't let Balaam curse Israel. The only other idea we read about this in, Anuta, in, in the Bible is Matthew 5. Jesus says, you know, whoever's angry with his brother, who you know, for no, for no reason, for no cause, okay, he, he will be in danger of the judgment. It's kind of the same idea. But you see, it can't be the Matthew 5 because, number one, here, Jesus says, Take heed that you not despise one of these little ones uh, for little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father and is in heaven. And then it goes on, the, con- the rest of the context is, is who's Jesus talking about are those that are lost. Well, number one, there were no Christians that Jesus came to save because Christians weren't in existence yet because Christ hadn't made any disciples and so therefore Christ couldn't come to save Christians he was coming according to verse 11 to save that which was lost so you see number one reason Israel was a lost nation when Jesus came that's number one reason I believe number two which kind of which is that I guess that's number two I believe Jesus is referring to Israel as people here because of things that he said in his ministry look at this verse Uh, Look at verse 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Listen to what else Jesus says in his ministry about this same idea. Matthew 15, 24. Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost." And then he goes on to say, sheep of the house of Israel. And then again in Matthew 10, uh, 5 and 6, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's sending them out two by two, and they're supposed to go throughout all the land of Israel. And he says, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost, and then sheep of the house of Israel. And per verse 11, as I already alluded to, already kind of talked about, Christians couldn't be lost because there were no Christians yet. So Jesus had to come to save that which was lost. So the context here is not referring to a Christian or Christian brethren as other sections were. It's referring to the lost of the house of Israel. And the third reason is, did you hear what Jesus called the lost? He said, I have not not come except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then to the twelve disciples he said, don't go except to the lost 12 or to the lost sheep again of the house of Israel. Well, when we look at verse 12 here, what does Jesus say to us in verse 12 of Matthew 18, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? does he not leave the 99 sheep? that I can add that there and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying. So you see, our context here lines up with other things that Jesus has talked about concerning the children of Israel or concerning the Jewish people. Sheep, he says in 1812, and lost sheep at that. So that's our context. Jesus is speaking to us here about how much, how precious in the sight of God It's Israel, or you could even say lost Israel, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I hope that's plain. Now, now that we've established who Jesus is referring to, and I hope you guys can see that in this section. I hope you could see who Jesus is referring to. With, with, With that said, what is the heart? What is Jesus talking to us about? What is he saying to us about Israel? And again, Jesus is telling us how precious in God's sight is Israel in verse 10. I'm going to read it again. He warns us, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. You could say, since we know that's the Jews now, Take heed that you do not despise my Jewish people or my children of Israel. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. He starts out by giving us a warning concerning Israel. The warning, watch out that you do not despise Israel. The word there for despise is in the Greek is katafronio. I think I'm saying it right. If I'm not, forgive me. Defined as, listen to this, the word defined there according to the Greek is to condemn, to despise to disdain or to think little or nothing of. So Jesus just said, be careful that you don't despise, disdain. Be careful that you don't even look upon the children of Israel as nothing. Be careful that you don't regard them and condemn them and think of them as nothing. Wow. What does this teach me? What does this tell me? It shows me how precious in God's sight Israel really is. That he doesn't even want you or me or anybody in the world despising even despising Israel. I mean after all, aren't we allowed to hate people sometimes? I mean, I mean Christians no. Jesus said we're not allowed to even hate. Hatred should not even be in the vocabulary of a Christian, number one. Number two, he just said to anybody and everybody, be careful, world. You better not despise my little ones. You better not despise my children of Israel. You better not despise the Jewish people. Wow, that shows me how much God loves the children of Israel. Next, he tells us that in this warning, that if we despise the Jewish people or nation, he tells us in verse 10, that their angels in heaven will see it, who also, what? See the face of God directly. Okay? So that's the warning. Don't despise them because of their angels who see the face of God directly. So now, okay, so what? What? Big deal, right? You would, you might think. Who cares if angels are watching over each Jewish person? And the angel sees, or, or or and the angel sees and hears of someone or some nation that's despising them. What does that matter? What does it matter? So what? So the angels see if, it, let's say, someone I or somebody says, "Oh, I hate Israel. Oh, I hate them." So what? Big deal, right? It's just an angel. Yeah, okay. So they see the face of God. Well, so what? Well. Guess what? Angels are like God's super spiritual soldiers, or you could say servants. They don't die, they don't ever get tired, and an angel has more power and might and probably is one hand than hundreds of thousands of people do in the flesh. And guess what? Angels serve a God loyally without any question at all. In the scripture, we've seen angels that God used to protect His children, the Israelites. We've seen God use angels to punish people that go against His children. Plus, you know, we also seen God in in scripture use angels for whatever else. See, they're His servants, and what does a servant do? They serve their master. Okay, just look at this one account of what. God gave one angel to do for his children of Israel when they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. They're about to go into the promised land. So God says to Moses, Exodus 33, 1 and 2, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your descendants, I will give it. Wow, that's an g- awesome promise of God. God's saying, uh, uh, "Go up, I'm going to give you this land. You're going to take it. Praise God. Let's do this thing." But what did he, what does He do? How does He make this promise come true? How does He eventually make this problem come true what, or promise come true? What does He tell Moses? Thirty three two, and I will send my angel before you. Listen to what He says. And I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite the Hittite, the Parisiite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Did you count that? That was that was six nations that God said to Moses for the children of Israel by this one angel, I'll drive out six nations from before you. Now, nations are pretty big amount of people. We're not just talking about a you know, couple hundred people in a people group here. We're talking about a nation. And not only one, but six nations nations if an angel one angel was was powerful enough to drive out six whole nations by himself what do you think he could do to one person or let's say one nation who despises israel in revelations god uses angels to pour out the wrath his wrath he didn't do it himself god uses angels to pour out his wrath upon the soon to be destroyed world in revelation 6 we read about these Four horsemen, you know, they're not called this in the Bible, but people deemed them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. We have these four horsemen, which are these angels that are riding on these different colored steeds. We have one, it's white, and this angel sitting on this white horse, and he goes out to conquering to conquer. That's one angel upon the whole earth now, okay? We have a red horse, too. What does he do? He takes peace from the whole earth. One angel takes peace from the whole earth. We're talking some power here, people. We have one black one who destroys the food supplies in the world so badly that all the food prices skyrocket and who can afford to even eat? People are starving to death. That's one angel. Then we have a pale Uh, horse with an angel riding on a pale horse. And what does he do? He brings death and Hades and inflicts lots of suffering, pain, and death for all of mankind on all the earth. So just these four angels conquered the world, took peace from the world, destroyed food so badly that food just skyrocketed, food became very scarce, and brought death and Hades to the planet earth. Just four angels angels inflicted that kind of suffering and pain on the whole earth wow it's really scary to to look at what angels can really do having the power that they do from god they're really unstoppable would be the one word i'd have to use the one word would be unstoppable an angel could not be stopped by any person period and in our context here remember what jesus just said remember he gave us that warning. Don't even despise, look down on, don't even think about cursing Israel or the Jewish people because of their angels. He's really telling us that their angels are the Jewish people's protectors. And we see that it's pretty clear that the angels are the ones that bring the pain, or you could say the curse, upon any that despise or curse Israel. Now it's really neat here. I, I have us a little history lesson today. I hope you guys are ready for a little history lesson. Historically, we see just how serious God was about His promise to curse those who despised or cursed Israel. That promise that He gave, you know, Moses. Or I'm sorry, the promise he gave to Abram back in Genesis 12:3. I want you to look at these nations with me here. I got three or four for us here. I did and did some research. We've got our first nation that was that cursed Israel, and they became cursed. We have Egypt. In its mightiest days, Egypt was such a powerful was such a powerful nation that it was the envy of the world. Egypt had it all: wealth, military power, science, agriculture. There seemed to be no limit to what they could produce. The pyramids stand today as an architectural marvel. Egypt was the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. But you see, they made one very important, sad, serious mistake. They oppressed the children of Israel for 400 years. They could say brought a curse or a hatred upon the children of Israel. Well, Let's just say we all know ancient history. God brings on these plagues to curse Egypt and really destroy the whole land, being all the curses. And then Israel as a nation who were their servants, they ended up leaving. So not only was their whole land destroyed by all these plagues that God poured down upon the land of Egypt, but then when Israel left, you're talking about talking about multiple millions of jews here that left their land was really destroyed egypt's reign as the, as a powerful nation ended ended and the country died today all the tour guides in egypt can do is bring us back to egypt's ancient days where the they talk about the the pyramids and the ancient marvelous architectural marvels and works of the ancient days Today, Egypt is no more of a powerful nation than, than any of the smaller nations in the world. It's, it's very tiny, and there's nothing really special about it. Yet, they went from the most powerful nation in the world to less than nothing, really. They're hardly anything today. Second country that we're to look at, the Roman Empire. In its, day, in its day, there seemed to be no end to the mighty and massive Roman Empire. Its reach, power, and scope made it one of the mightiest empires of all time if not the mightiest ever. All seemed to be going very well until they reached and ultimately mistreated tiny little Israel. Back in 70 AD, the Romans under Titus had grown tired of managing Israel and especially the Jews, and they decided to end the Jewish problem in a dramatic and final attempt. Roman legions surrounded the city, set it on fire, and destroyed the Holy Temple, which was the center of the Jewish life in Israel. Thousands of Jews were killed and tens of thousands more were taken into Roman slave and work camps. Israel was dispersed and the people scattered to the four corners of the earth as the Bible predicted. But you see, in 1948, Israel was restored as a full nation and still stands to this very day. While the Roman Empire has never, ever reached its previous standard of power even to this day they were dismantled they were destroyed and then they still they're just a they're just a normal country like every other country in the whole world they've never ascribed to the power that they had before they messed with Israel rome had provinces all over the world and now they're just a tiny dinky country just like any other tiny dinky country and they're not very impressive at all compared to their previous years next we have the british empire England once boasted that their empire was so vast that the sun never set on it. That would mean that they had a province or they had a, an annex of their English nation in every single place around the globe. So they said the sun would never set on their empire. They had colonized the empty land of Israel, known as the time known at the time as Palestine, which was for, which was the former land of Israel. And at one point, the British helped Israel with a document called the. A belfer declaration which was supposed to give the jews back their land but the british were also trying to please the arabs of the area sadly so they so they limited the immigration of the jews back to their homeland well in 1938 when hitler had it out for the jews and all he had all his concentrate concentration camps going in full swing the jews begged the british for permission to escape to palestine but they were refused by the jewish by or by the british empire When Israel finally became a nation again in 1948, Great Britain had opposed her at every turn because Britain had forgotten that God had promised the land of Israel to the Jews forever. The end result was that Great Britain would soon fall from its standing and never again from that day to this one we stand in today be a superpower of the world again. And they are not a superpower still to this day like they once were. But it was only after they despised Israel that this fall happened to them. And last but not least, we all know, you probably guys already know what I'm going to say. Last but not least, we have Germany. Germany under Hitler almost accomplished the world domination. Hitler almost accomplished conquering the whole entire world. And when you look at Germany, it's almost a speck on the map compared to other bigger countries like China or America or Russia. Germany is just a tiny little blip on the map. But they almost conquered the whole world. What an amazing feat. But in the midst of Hitler trying to rule the world, he made the mistake, the big mistake, of trying to destroy the Jews and eliminate them all. As a result of his actions, he was destroyed and Germany was leveled, you could say wiped out. Reports say when Germany fell to the Allied invasion in 1945, Berlin was a smoldering, ruinous heap. To this day, Germany is nowhere near a superpower. And in fact, they are still trying to rebuild the country from its crushing defeat in 1945. Germany is still heavily under the watchful eye of the whole world, and I've been told this by Germans that I know because of what Hitler did. So we go from a nation that almost conquers the whole world to what? A nation just like every other nation in the world. Not that the people are bad now or not that, you know, God hates Germans or whatever, but what did God say? What did Jesus say here? Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I'm telling you that they're angels who see the face of God in heaven. They're going to see it. And we already know that God uses angels to inflict his promise to Abram back in Genesis. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And by what Christ says here, I'll guarantee you that the fall of those once great nations was the result of God's command to his angels to bring vengeance on them for their hatred and their cursing of Israel. You see, God chose Israel out of every nation of the whole world. He said, I choose Israel to put my name on this per, on this personage, on this, on, these, on this people group. He says many times in the Old Testament that he would never cast Israel away forever because of his love for them. Even though he might get angry with them for a little time. There are many times we read about these promises in the Old Testament, but just for time's sake, just one. We're going to see how dedicated God is to his love of Israel and how dedicated, you know, how really precious in God's sight Israel really is. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 and 36, look what God says about Israel. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day. So we all know we still to this day have a sun for light by day. The ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night. So God gave the sun and he gave the moon and the stars. And he's just talking about how, excuse me, those things were given and he gave those things as ordinances. They're things that stand forever. Listen. The ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night. Who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Talking also about the seas and how they roar and so on and so forth. If those ordinances depart from me. Listen to what he says. So once they stop. Once the sun stops shining during the day. And once the moon stops and the stars stop, stop giving light at night from before me. For if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord. Then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Well, we still have the sun that shines by day during the day and the moon and the stars that shine by night at night. And guess what? Israel is also still a nation before God. There's still a people group from before God. Even today, since God brought Israel back into the land from 1948, listen, Israel stands as just a few million Jews... I know it's definitely, I believe it's way under 10 million, which is tiny, and comparatively speaking, you know, to other countries in the world. Yet, think about this for just a moment. Israel stands as this small, tiny nation. Every single country that surrounds Israel is full of Muslims. And in case you didn't know, Muslims hate Jews like they were cockroaches in your bathroom at night when you go to... Go to the bathroom, and how you hate to see one on the floor. Muslims absolutely despise and hate the Jewish people. Yet, in the midst of war, hundreds of millions of Muslims that surround this tiny little nation where these few million Jews stand, Muslims can't destroy the Jews. And they've tried. They've tried. They're trying to this day. They're constantly at war, firing missiles. Going inside, suicide bombings, the whole works. Islam, Muslims hate the Jews. Yet, the Jews are still a nation in their own land, in the midst of literal hell on earth in that area. And yet, God said, those are always my people, and that is their land, and no one will take it from them. You see, God is powerful, and His promises stand forever So if you're listening to this message, know that Israel is still precious in God's eyes. And don't get caught up in despising or cursing them or even thinking down on them or looking small on them or hating them. Because of those mighty angels, you better watch out. But you better bless them and you better not curse them. And we also see the tremendous love of God that he has for the Jewish people or nation and how precious they are in his sight in the rest of our text here according to Christ. I'm going to read it again. Look what he says in verse 11. Before I read, though, think about this. As I said earlier, in the day that Jesus came, Israel was a very lost nation. They had rebelled against God. They were hypocritical in their religion. They had fallen away from God in a tremendous, terrible way. Way. Jesus was constantly rebuking the religious leaders because they weren't really following God. What they were doing is they were living out senseless religion in their lives every day. And they had really had nothing to do with God at all. So when Jesus tells us here, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, just think of the fact that these people in the state that they're in, and look what Jesus Christ says about them. He says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Israel is lost. Jesus comes back. He says, I'm here to save them. I'm here to redeem them. I'm here to call them back to myself. Even though they hate God. Even though they're against God. I'm here to call them back to God. I'm here to seek and to save that which is lost. Who seeks people when they're lost? God seeks people when they're lost. People don't seek God when they're lost. God seeks people and then people start to seek God. Jesus, while Israel wasn't even seeking them, God's seeking Israel's reconnection to him. He says, verse 12, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? God says, I've got my people, they're mine. I've got some people, they're mine. They're, the 99 that are saved, they're good with me. But man, my nation of Israel, it's lost. It's lost. My people, Israel, they're lost. They're departed from me. They're, they're, they're apart from me. I love them. I want, I want them to be with me. I'm going to leave the 99 who are safe of all my peoples that love me on the face of the planet and I'm going to go after my, ch- my children, my Israel, my Israel, my Jewish nation, the one whom I bought, the one whom I paid for, the one whom I brought out of Egypt, the one whom I love. I'm going to leave the ones that are safe with me, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to reach the Jews. I'm going to reach out to them, and I'm going to draw them back. I'm going to go, and I'm going to find them. And when they come, any that come, verse 13, and, hit, and if he should find it, Assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. When they turn, because they see God's looking for them, because many Jews did in Jesus' ministry. Many Jews saw, wow, God's seeking us. God loves us. Look at this. God sent his Redeemer. And they turned. God says in his word here, he rejoices more over the one that came than over the 99 that were already safe. Do you see how precious in Israel or how precious in God's sight Israel really is? Even so, listen to this, listen to God's will for Israel, for the Jewish nation of Israel. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones, not one Jewish person on the face of the planet not one of them perish. It's not God's will that one little Jewish person, man, woman, or child, of any of the children of all of Israel, perish. And that means not just die. We're talking about perish because I'm separated from God. And when you're separated from God, you're not just going to die. You're going to go to hell because you're separated from God. That's how much and that's how precious in God's sight Israel really is that he left his throne from heaven and he came down to seek his Jewish people that had fallen away from him. And we see this tremendous love that he has for them here. Along those same lines, Jesus says to us in Luke 13, 34. In case you're wondering, is this context really pointing us to Israel? Is this context really about Jewish people? Jesus says again in Luke 13, 34, Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who's he speaking about? The Jews. Israel here, he's not talking about the Gentiles. He's not talking about the people of the world. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. I wanted to bring you back, he's telling them, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. Oh, how precious is Israel in God's sight. He loves the Jews more than anything you could know. And, and Jesus tells us that here. When you see how precious Israel is in God's sight, his love for Israel is so amazing, it's unbelievable. The fact that he would send Jesus to try to draw them back is truly spectacular. And the fact that they were fallen away from God. You see God's love for Israel throughout all the scriptures, to all the Old Testament and even the New David, greatest king of Israel, says, writes about God in the Psalms, and he says, Psalm 36, 5-7. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Wow. Isn't God's love for Israel amazing? And still to this day, God longs to gather the Israelites under his wings. And even to this day, there's a large majority of the nation of Israel that still don't really love God because they rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah. How sad but that's good news, though, you see, because God's always reaching out for Israel. He's always trying to draw them back. And you see that this promise that Jesus gave here, this war, I should say this warning that Jesus gave here, is to all of us. So we ought to be warned, hey, be careful. Don't despise or look down on Israel. We better not. But what all this said about how precious Israel is in God's sight, where does that leave non-Jewish people? or a better word for it, a better biblical word here, where does that leave the Gentiles? Well, there's such good news here also for the Gentiles today. Although Jesus Christ came first, as we already read, for the salvation of the Jewish nation of Israel, after his death, God opened up this same salvation to all mankind. God shows this same idea to Peter in Acts chapters 10 and 11 with this man named Cornelius who was a Gentile. Peter goes to this Gentile's house and he starts preaching the gospel after God gives Peter this vision from the sheet that drops from heaven with all, kind of clean, with all kind of unclean animals on it. The whole house of Cornelius gets saved. Peter realizes God's opening up the salvation to not only the Jews but also the Gentiles as well. And we also read about Jesus opening up this salvation to all, even though they didn't know this at the time, but in John three sixteen seventeen, we already know this verse very well. For God so loved the world. He didn't say God so loved the Jews or God so loved just Israel. We read for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world, listen, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So because Jesus said this, and Peter got that revelation from God in Acts, that means that his love extends to all mankind now, and all mankind is precious in his sight. That means that at least Matthew 18, 11 through 14 can now be applied to all mankind, because Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to redeem all people to himself. Praise God, as David said, for his loving kindness. So today, for all of us in here, all of us that are listening all over the world, where are you at in your relation to God and Christ today? Have you received His love through Christ and now you're walking strong with Him? You're obeying His words. You're trusting in Him with all your heart and you're living for Him by your ways. And if you stumble, you repent and you turn back to God right away because you I just don't want to be separated from God. I just... Love God so much and Jesus Christ paid such a high price for my soul and I, I need to have God. I can't live without him. Are you cling to him like a newborn babe, like I spoke about in the beginning of my sermon? Or are you not? And you're not walking with him. And you don't love him back, although he loves you. When well, my clothes I want to talk to any of you out there who have either Never been saved, and you've never known the love of God in your life intimately, or you have known His love, and you're backslidden right now away from Christ as Israel had done with God when Jesus came. Well, I want to tell you if that's you today, and you're out there and you say, "Uh, You know what, I'm not walking with God and you know what, I, I, or I used to know God, or, or I don't anymore, or, or wherever you're at, if you're not walking with Him and trusting Him and then living for Him, then verse 11 applies to you. I'm going to read it again. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Whether, you're, whether you've never known or whether you're backslidden, Jesus Christ says here, For the Son of Man has come to save you. He's come to redeem you. He's come to reconcile you to God exactly how he did Israel back when he walked the face of the planet in the flesh. Either way, whether you are walked away from him or you've never known him, verse 11 applies to you 100%. Look at the love that God still has for you even though you can sit there in your chair and say, well you know, I don't live for him. We well, you know I don't show God I love him on an everyday basis. No, I, you know, I'm not even sure if if I'm saved, I mean, i pray to prayer, but you know I, I don't even go to church or oh, I don't know, I don't live like I love God. yet, for the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And verse 12 applies to you, What do you think? He says, "If a man is a hundred sheep, a hundred that are okay with me." And one of them goes astray. Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountain to seek the one that is straying? Right now, if you're listening to this message and you know I'm not right with God, Jesus sent me out into the field as the shepherd to go call you the one who either hasn't ever known or has gone astray. And I'm saying, come back to God. For Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. So I exhort you today, by the mercies of God, I exhort you today, please, think about your life. Think about the love of God. Think about what Jesus did for you on the cross. Think about how He came and He lived a life. He stepped down from His throne in heaven. He left His dominion of heaven to come to earth to seek you and to save you because you're lost and you're not with God right now. And just think of that love. Would you leave your castle where you have every anemone? Every, everything you can, you don't have, you have everything. You're not lacking one thing to go out and get something that left you, that wandered away either purposely or just doesn't want to know? Well, I don't know if I would. But God did that for us. Christ did that for us. And he came to seek and save that which is lost. He has come to save you and he's reaching out to you right now. And he says, come to me. Jesus in scripture says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So I beg of you, think about your life. Think about your eternity and think about the love of God. For the Bible said it is, it is the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. Think about where you're heading. Think about the road that you're on. And think about how miserable your life is. And just think of the love that God still has for you, even though you don't choose to walk with His Son, Jesus Christ. Please come to Him now. Get on your knees at some point today and cry out to God and tell Him you're sorry for the way you're living, the way you've been living. And tell Him that you want to be His again or you want to be His, period. You know right here, God's He, Jesus Christ has come to save that which was lost. So if He wants to save you, He's calling out to you. All He's waiting for is you to respond. So please respond quickly before it's too late. God loves you so much. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this word. Thank you so much for your message today. Thank you so much, Lord God, that you not only love Israel, Lord, but you love people, just people lost and save the alike, of course, Lord. You love those that are yours. because you love the 99 that are back at home, but you love the one that's lost more than you love the 99, because you leave the 99 to go rescue the one that's apart from you. That's love. And, Lord, you showed your love. You didn't just tell us you loved us. You showed us you loved us, Lord God. You show us you love us today by continuing to tarry. For your long, you're, you're just the way you tarry, Lord. I, if I were you, I would have come back to destroy everything already, Lord, because it's just so sinful and so evil in the world right now. And I would have already come and said, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. Roll it all up. Destroy it all. Get the angels out of here, and let's wipe it all out. I'm done. I'm starting over. Let's get to the new let's get to the millennium. Let's get to the to the new reign. Let's, let's 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 get this out of here. But you don't. You're still waiting. You're still waiting, and you're still waiting to show people how much you love them, and that you're long suffering toward them, that not one of them should perish, and that we would all come to repentance and salvation. So I pray, Lord God, right now, that if there's any out there listening that don't know you or they've backslidden and they've walked away from you lord i pray that you would draw them to you this message lord in your heart and by your holy spirit i pray you draw them to you and i pray you'd win them to christ jesus right now and please lord god i ask and pray for you myself lord just ed plain old ed i ask you to save those that are listening that aren't yours and even lord today bring some a mighty and bring a mighty amount of jews to the cross as well today too lord god because i love israel and thank you lord god for the witness that they have been to me in jesus name i ask these things amen okay praise god it's pastor ed here everyone and i want to thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the message today it's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of god's word and not a hearer only because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for jesus christ will last Hey, if you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our house church Sunday mornings for our service at 1015. Directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests, questions, or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. And God bless you. Have a wonderful day.